I lost my faith in science uh, during my time in forensic psychology. And finding open science was very, very important for me. Uh, that was what took me through my PhD studies. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University and with a very special guest today, Rebecca Willen from IGDOR, which is the Institute for Globally Distributed Open Research and Education, which is based in Bali. How are you, Rebecca? Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. <laughs> Re- Rebecca. How are you? Rebecca, are you sitting next to the window? Is that a window next to yeah, you? Can I can I it's can I pretty much a window. Can I see outside because we're going to have a blizzard tomorrow. I want to see uh, I want to see what I want to see what a real It's city actually just looks a like. room in there. Ah. It's actually just a room in there. I have to go further I'd, out. I'd take to a I'd take a room. Give you some of the tropical <laughs> views. I would I'd take a room right now because it's uh it's <laughs> yeah. uh it's up to 18 inches tomorrow. We're going to have some we're going to have some Norway Boston crossover action which is uh yeah. Yeah. You just get this you get it's, this text message from the university. Yeah. Everything is cancelled. Don't think it. Yeah. <laughs> we've had we the, um, the longest here. we've had the longest winter here in uh in 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 oslo uh in in southern norway it's been um it's been snowing uh almost since january and i don't know when it's going to end but um at least 2025 which is yeah, yeah it's just gonna it's just gonna go forever uh, i've heard but, it's uh, very cold in in europe now uh, more cold than it usually is yeah, especially for this time of year. Um, mm. But um, yeah, it's um, uh, unlike uh, unlike Boston. Uh, Oslo is a little, at least, a little bit more prepared for uh, for the snow. We're prepared. But, um, I've got a hat. Now, you've got a hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rebecca, we um, you, you came onto our our radar. I actually have seen things and heard things about uh, about Igdor, which we're going to come round to later in the episode. But um, you actually came onto our radar um, uh, about a month or two ago. You did something um, or you, you've, you've been doing something for the past few months, which most scientists probably actually do in that you've been radically transparent about how you've been doing science and about how you've been reporting your science. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit more about your practice of uh, sharing these disclosure statements for each of your published studies? Well, yeah, uh, so I'm uh, one of uh, many researchers who have employed questionable research practices. I have p-hacked, I have harked, and just like so many other researchers, especially in psychology, I've done. Uh, the problem is that when you uh, read my papers, my published papers, you can't see that. Uh, and we are currently in, in, in a transition phase where we... We can't say about all the previously published pub- published research. We can't say uh, whether it has been done as reported or not, mm. and that's a huge problem. So, by simply making it public, uh, what you have actually done, which type of questionable research practices you have employed in this particular study, 
then you make the past more useful because others can see what exactly have been done. And instead of saying that, okay, we should interpret all published, previously published research as uh, exploratory, instead we can say that, okay, this particular study employed this particular methods, uh, this particular hypothesis were uh, was harked, uh, but this other hypothesis was not. It simply makes the past more useful uh, when we know wh uh, which which specific questionable research practices uh, that have been uh, employed. I think this is something really interesting in that we are in a transition phase because it seems like we do have a plan moving forward about how to make science more reproducible. Yet looking back now, <laughs> I'd be amazed to open up a, a introductory psychology textbook and to look at every single study and you'd actually wonder, was this study p-hacked? And the thing is right now, unless we actually have um, huge uh, pre-registered replications, we don't really know unless researchers step out and do the kind of thing that you've been doing and being uh, being transparent with your with your, your with your research. Now, I, I was wondering, what do your co-authors think about this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Good answer. And <laughs> and um yeah and what what about the journals? Because on on the one hand, you've sort of reported this stuff. Um, in, 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 in a few different journals. And mm. so, you have this, you know, the, the record in the journals, but then you've also got- because you're posting this mainly on your website, is that correct? Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd be curious to see what the, um, what, what the journals think as well. But uh, mm. yeah, can, can you go more into- uh, so, it's more the methods and the results that you're transparent about. Is that, is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, I try to be uh, as transparent as possible. It might be that I'm in the future. I in the future realize that I have forgot something, and then I will add that. So, yeah, but methods and and results, absolutely. How do you remember? Yeah, that's my first <laughs> question. So after we saw this, first of all, incidentally, a uh, baller move. Yeah. I don't know anyone else who's gone through their own work and gone. Uh, not, not only do I actually know what happened, but I can I can dissect where the kind of sotto voce understated research process went wrong here. I've, I'm I'm amazed that it can be reconstructed in the first instance. It's just sort of uh, I, I I don't know if you, if you asked me uh, oh, what you what did you get wrong in that study from 2013? I would just sort of look blank and shake my head a lot. My neck would come loose with all the head shaking. I don't have a clue. I hope nothing too much. It's one of the nice things about physiology in general. You look for something a lot of the time. It's there. Um, if it uh, if it isn't there, generally you've got something good to write about as well. But these for me, what was your what was your research area where these uh, disclosure statements were coming out? Because I read them a couple of months ago, and we talked. Oh, we have we have to talk to Rebecca because this is uh, <laughs> no one's no one's doing this. This in, in many ways is kind of a it's it's a it's a radical move. I'm assuming you believe in some kind of uh, non hypocritical version of openness. <laughs> as a, I do, yes. As opposed to yeah. the, the, the more sort of low-calorie version that other people are <laughs> Yeah. Of. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, 
I so most most of us have employed these questionable methods, uh, and I think we need to talk about that. We need to to uh, lift the lid on that and and uh, get clear about what has happened uh, and not um, because it will make the past more useful. All published because I think previously published research. Even if you haven't done anything, then you should make a disclosure statement saying that okay, this this uh, study I published in two thousand and thirteen, thirteen, everything was uh, reported as uh, correctly hmm. um, and already transparent. And then we know, and then we don't have to interpret that particular study as uh, exploratory just because it was published before pre registrations and before. This transparency revolution. Right on. Did you did you did you ever get I did you ever get at stiff armed at any point by uh, editors particularly? Of a, a, a lot of the time, people can be quite casual about it. You know what? Make this a better paper. Go back in time and plan that one from the start. Just uh, just a hoof a few verbs around there until it changes. <laughs> did you did you get any external pressure to do that at the time? To uh, sorry, can, can you repeat that? Um, where was in 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 your experience? Where was all the harking from? Is it just uh, the, the the cost of doing business, or um, did you did did an editor ever ask you to change something after the fact? Not an editor, no. Uh, this was the way I was taught to work uh, to simply. After you have uh, collected your data, then you sit down and have a meeting and think about w which exact hypothesis to test and how to code the material, etc. Yeah. So that was the way I was taught to do research. That's rough. When did you uh, When did you um, graduate? Oh, to, to put all of this in perspective. Um, two thousand and sixteen, June two thousand and sixteen. Right on. I finished my PhD. Mm. And now, this is, um, I, I started my own research institute. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is now, so cool. Considering <laughs> we're going to split this podcast into two halves, and the first one about is, yeah. is, is this this baller move. The second baller move that's coming right out here is starting your own research institute. But we will yeah. get to that. Uh, <laughs> I think what what you've been doing is very very similar to um, uh, Simmons Nelson and Simonson's uh, twenty one word solution, mm. uh, which is what they suggest is people report or write in their papers. We report how we determined our sample size, all data exclusions, if any, all mani all manipulations, and all measures and studies. Now, mm. some people do this in their papers, but um, in your situation, is the first time where where you've actually done the the opposite, where you've been transparent and saying, "Well, we we didn't actually." report how we determine our sample size. Mm. Um, we just, uh, I, I read one of your disclosure statements where um, where you wrote that, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we, we picked 30 participants because that's mm. just kind of what made sense and there wasn't a formal power analysis. Time and time again, when I'm reviewing papers, um, both as a um, uh, as, as an associate editor and also as a reviewer and seeing what other reviewers are doing, um, quite often you, you see reviewers ask, can you do, uh, can you report your power analysis? And then people were like, yes, here is our power analysis. But the thing is, 
if, if people are doing a power analysis and they actually did it a priori, then they'd be reporting it in papers. But all of a sudden, you have people who, oh, yes, yes, here's my power analysis. So, that's one of many things which people don't actually tend to report until um, until after the fact. Was was this 21-word uh, solution something that um, um, you, you were thinking about while you, while you were doing this? Uh, I did think about it when I wrote my PhD thesis. So, mm. I... Uh, in my PhD thesis, I had disclosure statements for each of the four studies that were, were included in my thesis. And for the last, uh, I think for the last study, uh, the most, uh, yeah, the last study in the, in the thesis, I managed to include the, uh, 21 words. Uh, statement in the paper, I think, if I don't, if I remember correctly, I think I included it in the paper too. Um, and then I, I wrote the more retroactive disclosure statements, uh, for each single study in my, in my PhD thesis. Damn. How did your, uh, how did your examiners react to this, uh, to these uh, disclosure statements? Not a single person mentioned it at all. There was one, the first reviewer, the first external reviewer mentioned it. He, he wrote that he was impressed by, by my transparency and that I was following the, the transparency revolution. Uh, And he was the only one who mentioned it. Not a single other person did. That's, yeah, that's not a lot of pushback. So soon I'll be examining a, a, a Swedish PhD thesis uh, in, in a few months. Perhaps I should ask them to, uh, to, to to disclose everything, just like just like you have for your thesis. No, yeah, no, I don't think so. No, it was just silence around it. Not a single person yeah. uh, mentioned it at all. Uh, not a single comment. Uh, not a single comment in language. Not those sections were simply just. Not mentioned. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if that was it. Was just sort of it was overlooked, or it's just sort of like a oh, we don't want to, we don't want to touch that. It's like the third rail. We'll just sort of let that through and and pretend everything's fine, nothing to see here, nothing has changed. I, I wonder how that was perceived, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by either. There's a lot of detail in a thesis, but also people are really leery about talking about this stuff. Yeah, which is why, I think so which too, is why yeah. we got, which is why we got so fired up, and this thing came out. We go, well, we have to, we have to talk about this. This is going to be a <laughs> cat meat pigeons. It's a, a yeah, yeah, it writes so itself. So, when will you publish your uh, disclosure statements? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, when uh, when will you publish your uh, retroactive disclosure statements? Hey! <laughs> ah. Oh, man. I don't... I honestly... If you asked me to sit down and do that now, I would honestly have to do reanalysis to tell you. Um, I, I, I would find it really difficult to figure out what actually went wrong, if anything went wrong, with regards to that. Um, we're both lucky in the fact that a lot of the time... Well, a, a couple of things. We went through a grad program where it had a really heavy statistics focus. Um, we worked with a lot of with a lot of people who really knew what they were talking about. If I proposed doing a, a study without a power analysis in the first place, someone would have gone, "Where's your power analysis?" And they would have they would have meant it. It would have been pretty hard to to bullshit your way through that. Um, 
Oh, I would I would seriously struggle to write one. Um, and that's not just a that's not just a recency effect. Oh, it sounds like a cop out answer now. I want to know what I've done. Um, <laughs> I, I can I tell you I tell you what I I tell you what I can I tell you what I can say. Uh, the studies where I'm absolutely sure I didn't. I could definitely point out off the top of my head. It's like we've got one analysis plan. I got one thing. All the exclusions are reported. All the stuff that's in there is in there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I could point those out because the analysis is uh, so so seamless that you remember that stuff. But for the rest of them, I would struggle. What about you, Dan? I mean, you've written more goddamn papers than me. What do you think? I would battle as well. Um, I mean, more recently, most of my empirical stuff has been pre-registered clinical trials. So, the the work's already kind of been done in that sense. Um, and you kind of you kind of hamstrung because you suggest here's what we're going to do. Here's our primary outcomes. Um, here's the analysis uh, for the last trial that we did. Um, we we actually worked with a, um, a a clinical trials company. This is a private company. Um, which helps people who want to actually get their drugs eventually uh, or, or their devices eventually to market. So, before the analysis, I sat, sat down with a statistician and said, this is exactly the analysis that we're going to do. And then what we had was um, at the end of the trial, I sent all the data, all the data was cross-checked against all the files that I had. And then the statistician from this company goes, here is the exact analysis that we agreed we're going to do. Um, here are the groupings. Let's find out if we have a result. And it was almost a, it was almost a, a, a party atmosphere. Well, it, it wouldn't be good if we actually didn't get a result. <laughs> please, please tell me it worked after all that time, buddy. Well, we had the main analysis, and and basically it, it, it was almost like like a like a weird sort of presentation sort of thing. We should have been filming it. And so basically, we were like, yes, um, we didn't actually know who the groupings were. We had we had three groups. We had our, our low-dose group, our high-dose group, and our placebo group. But at the time, we still were unblinded to what the conditions were. And then basically, we were like, yes, here, we have a result. We have a main effect. But we don't know which group is which. And there was literally an envelope. Yeah. Oh, it was like an award nice. ceremony. And so, I was sitting there thinking, man, if this is the opposite. But that's the thing. It, it, like, I'm now looking at the result. I am so damn confident about that result because I yeah. know that we did this all this stuff independently Opened the envelope, and thank goodness we actually had um, uh, we actually had what we anticipated. In that, um, like uh, like our previous study, the low dose actually worked, and I'm like, thank God. <laughs> um, but that that yeah. But a- as for the older stuff, I'm sort of in the same same boat as James in that I, w- I wouldn't actually know. That's so, that, like that, the that's H- so the HIV ago. studies that you did before you even met me before even when you were when you when you were an RA and I was starting my PhD. So it's like yeah. I, I bet I bet you can't remember what some of them are even about. No, I mean <laughs> ma- ma- maybe the overall topics, um, but uh, yeah. Well, if there's, so, if there's just, a lesson just, there, so if you're going to be transparent about something, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like commenting code properly. If you're going to be open about something, you better you better good and goddamn well jump on it as soon as humanly possible because you're going to have you, you're going to forget a lot of details. You better grab that shit yeah. when it happens. Oh, ha- does this cross over with but your? Sorry, I mean we could we we have uh, uh, there a little bit. Those answers could be a lot meatier. We could have had a lot more sins to confess. <laughs> is 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 any of this affected by the areas that you personally worked in? Do you think it's it's something that sort of permits more analytic flexibility? I did air quotes. No one can see those. 
<laughs> I mean, you what is a like forensic investigative psych? That's yes, right, exactly. So my particular area, forensic psychology, investigative psychology, is a subdiscipline uh, uh, in social psychology and, and applied cognitive psychology. Yeah. And my particular area has been uh, interrogation techniques and deception detection. Right. Uh, and uh, one of the most common outcomes we have, the outcome measures we have, uh, is... Um, amount and quality of of details that people mention. So if we transcribe uh, this podcast, everything Dan says, everything James says, and everything I say, uh, and then we look into what type of information uh, we mention, uh, how often do we mention actions or or spatial details or temporal information yeah, yeah. Uh, and all these types there are so many ways you can categorize that and we have no standardized measures at all for doing it oh. so every single researcher who does this invent their own um, categories and in addition to that, we also can use, we can count, uh, we can use frequency measures that we simply count how many times this type of information is mentioned. Or we can use binary measures saying that it's present or it's not present. Or we can use Likert scales from 3 to 7 or 10. Uh, it's done in so many different ways. And my personal experience is that it's also done in very different ways within the same laboratories. <laughs> no one shares the material uh, coding really? manuals that are used. No, every single new person that comes to a laboratory has to sit down and, and uh, reinvent the wheel. Uh, and people are not, are pretty reluctant to share their materials and coding manuals. Oh, that's we not have good. a few. We have a few uh, more standardized uh, measures like criteria-based content analysis, CBCA and reality monitoring, RM, uh, which consists of, of uh, certain uh, types of criteria. But again, the coding manuals are not shared across labs or even within labs. And wow. every single person events it again and again. So you can define every single criterion in different ways, and they, uh, that is done. It's done in different ways. So you always, in every single paper, people have to write how they how they have specified this particular criterion. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's an incredible mess. Yeah, I'd heard. I'd that heard is some. Ripe for I'd heard some stories about uh, that. There's a uh, uh, quite a lot of interest. Maybe about uh, three to six months ago, um, with the, the 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 accuracy of kind of commercial measures in forensic science, and um, that extended to some degree into forensic psychology as well. I, I think people have that are totally naive to it, like me, have some idea that if it's part of an investigative process that everything will be locked down and parameterized and well understood because it's it's related to i mean look the the interrogation process feels like a 
uh, a process by which the people doing it would be comfortable asking questions in a structured manner. <laughs> it is it is interrogation. But you say it's 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 kind of it's kind of the opposite of that. I wonder how deep that goes in forensic psych, because that's yeah. um. I mean, if people in the is an, in an individual lab are like, oh, I'll come up with my own coding scheme. Um, yeah, all that there were when I was in grad school uh, in about it feels like about nineteen seventy now. Um, <laughs> there was we, the, the 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 text that we had on research methods, how to design surveys, how to how to like the the real basics of content analysis. We didn't do a great deal of it, but all of that stuff was set and parameterized and manualized. Um, uh, research from the sixties and seventies. Um, people were thinking about how do we handle response bias? How big should the scale actually be? What's the, the substructure of how to code stuff if you're doing like a, a semi-qualitative analysis? Shit like that. Oh, that's uh, I had I had no idea. So is that it was was do you think working in that specific area was kind of a foundation for becoming interested in open science stuff in general? For me? Yeah. Um well y- yes I I um I lost my faith in science uh during my time in forensic psychology and finding open science was very very important for me uh that was what took me through my PhD studies right on basically yeah so there you go. It's a, that's a people. It's a there's a <laughs> there's a good article today on uh there's a this I don't know when we'll air this so it's going to show its age. There's a good article today. It was uh there is no crisis within psychology and everything is fine. It's a, it's a PNAS article or something like that. And I I I read it in the office and I just I howled with laughter at some of the things. <laughs> Just because it was very kind of, uh, you know, that wonderful Leslie Nielsen gif where he's standing in front of the store and it's all blowing up and everything's on fire and he's going, nothing to see here, everything is fine. It felt a bit sort of, wow, that's a, that's, yeah, I, I, I like that. You're not, you're not the first person who's told us something like that. Um, mm. it, no. It's nice that it's important. Way too many people. It's nice that it's important to people. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's super. I mean, it feels like a, this is what you need to do as a research process thing, but the idea that is actually sustaining to individual people who say, oh, now it's not, I don't feel like I'm uh, part of a bullshit exercise in narrative generation anymore. Ah, oh, this this allows me to live with what I do. It's like, damn, look at us. <laughs> Helping. That is very Maybe cool. not me. We, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back very soon. Whether this is your first or 51st episode, we are stoked you are listening to Everything Hurts. Many people ask us how they can support the show, and the best way you can do this is by sharing links to the show on social media or by leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter. We are Hertz Podcast. That is one word. I am DS Quintana. James is James Heathers. And our guest today, Rebecca Willen, is R.M. Willen. That's R.M. W-I-L-L-E-N. 
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Everything Hurts, and today we are chatting with Rebecca Willen. Um, now, Rebecca, you completed your PhD recently at the uh, University of Gothenburg, uh, but now you're affiliated with two uh, independent research institutes, uh, the first one being IGDOR and also Ronin, um, and uh, you're actually the, the co-founder, or you're actually the founder of IGDOR. Can you tell us a little bit about the story behind the founding of IGDOR and why you actually uh, went ahead and did this. Yeah, so I finished my PhD in June 2016. uh, And I had then uh, lived abroad for the last one and a half year uh, of of my PhD studies. And I realized that I didn't want to go back to... I didn't want to bring my family and have to relocate to UK or to uh, to any part of the world where we uh, we had we had a good life on 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 location we enjoyed and I wanted to be able to continue doing my work from there. Uh, so I simply started Egidor uh, as a company in Sweden, just to be able to apply for funding in Sweden, and after that it has grown uh, and the idea and concept of Igdor has grown quickly um, but th- the basic thing is that I didn't want to relocate uh, bring my home family to a place where I didn't want to live and uh, that I didn't want to be forced to conduct research in a way that I didn't feel is in line with the current transparency revolution. I wanted to do good research, basically, and to be free to be good research, to do do, uh, good research. Now, there are obviously a number of benefits of of starting your own institute, and particularly because you can choose where where in the world it is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There are a lot of benefits in that respect, yes. You're not happy with Oslo? (laughs) Yeah, then I can can start anywhere. Sorry, sorry, what's what's the alternative to Oslo, Dan? Uh, Bali? No. Bali, Bali, yeah. what an excellent, now, excellent choice. Now, why do people go to Bali all the time? Because it's, uh, what's that word? It rhymes with price. Slice. Nice. It's nice. <laughs> that's, why half, that's why half of Australia is in it half the time. God damn. You must see so many right. Australians there, Rebecca. <laughs> there must be yeah, there. yeah, there are some <laughs> in the South, yeah. especially, yeah. Yeah. So there are there are obviously a lot of a uh, lot of benefits of, of starting your own independent institute, but uh, what are some of the drawbacks in doing this, um, especially compared to being part of a more uh, more traditional in- institution? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is that you have to be. Many of us have to be more creative in finding ways to uh, make a living. Uh, to we need money from somewhere and you will not at the traditional institution you can simply do teaching and and you will be paid for that uh, being part of, of an independent being an independent scientist means that you have to find ways to do that yourself you can do online uh, teaching uh, but you need it, it takes a bit more um, work and, and creativity to arrange with that. 
I'm curious as to what the the funding model is behind Igdor. Uh, as in, um, we we currently have uh, just some money for starting up, um, but the goal is to make Igdor uh, financially independent. That we will get revenue from uh, co-working spaces and from uh, the services we offer and from teaching and that that money will be enough for, uh, for to cover our expenses but also to grow a bit and expand i think this is a, i think this is a really interesting concept because um i've seen sort of floating on the internet a lot of um a lot of these almost league tables where people go where are some of the 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 cheapest but also best places to to, to do to do business to work remotely um in a lot of areas of science, you don't necessarily need the the, the, the lab where you have students coming mm. through and you can actually work remotely. So, it seems like you're actually adopting what a lot of people are doing within sort of the more creative spaces within web design, but you're applying this to science, which I think is a fantastic idea. And obviously, the operating costs um, of having a center or, or, or institute are much, much cheaper in Indonesia than they are in Sweden. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, and not only in Indonesia, in, in uh, many other places too, but Igdor is location independent. So we just have one, the first covering space we have opened, uh, which will also function as uh, a non-virtual laboratory uh, once we have all our operating licenses. Uh, but the institute in itself is location independent. So affiliated researchers or research assistants can be anywhere in the world. Yeah. So I, we have research assistants in Japan, in Singapore, in uh, Netherlands, in Sweden, in US. And, but uh, but, they, but you also have the you can uh, feel feel free to plug the hell out of this. I'm absolutely uh I'm uh you you uh, what is it? It's it's basically like a you have a, a co-working period where people physically go to the institute and work remotely and have presumably spare time or some of their normal time where they're working collectively on projects that are like congruent with the foundation mission which is something that you've uh you've got applications open for now is that right what applications open for 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 travel travel award or for uh, to become affiliated Oh, Anyone? I, I can't remember. You you sent it to me, and it was it was it's, it's, it's yeah. a terrible time. Oh yeah, like, that, uh, do you want to come? Yeah. You, uh, it hurt my feelings. Yeah, so we, we will have <laughs> we will have an open science meetup uh, in April, twenty third to twenty ninth of April. Right uh, and we have had travel awards uh, for that uh, for. <coughs> Uh, for researchers who, who uh, are into transparent science. Uh. Um, but any scientists, uh, any professional scientists can become affiliated with IGDOR as long as they uh, accept our code of conduct. Uh, yeah. mm. And you don't have to, you, you have the possibility of using our co-working space for free. Um, as an affiliated scientist, but you don't have to. You can be anywhere you want to. Right on, uh, Dan. We should put all that stuff in the show notes because uh, it's uh, coming up soon. You, yeah, you're ideally. 
obviously uh it's it's a it would be a very long way for either of us but if you were in Australia like many of our listeners are that is a substantially uh geographically more appropriate proposition so uh Australian people who are listening maybe we can push this out sooner so we can um so we can get the the deadline in the Let's actual show before it happens Stan. Let's, Let's do, do that. that. He says. Now, a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are early career researchers um, and are now becoming more familiar with uh, with open science practices. And we actually get a lot of questions from from listeners over Twitter and over Facebook, and uh, they want to know. There's a lot of stuff to to cover, and they don't know where to begin. So, Rebecca, I was wondering, from your perspective, what is the best way to get started when it comes to open science practices? Uh, well, they can come to our co-working space in Bali and we have a wall of, with 16 papers, basic papers on open science and they can sit down and read. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the first thing you should start to practice, I think the most important thing is pre-registration, which I have difficulty pronouncing in English. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and if you don't know where to start with that, uh, you can, of course, find information online, but you can also uh, simply hire a research assistant to do it for you, for example, at IGDOR. And I understand that IGDOR also does, um, does, does some consulting in this space hmm. as well. Well, so we want I, to I think do it's more really than consulting, actually. We, we want people to be able to say that I currently don't have time at all to learn about this, but I want to do it. So I simply hire a research assistant at Egdor and they will walk us through it. They will basically do it for us. Uh, so gotcha. I, I want to do more than consulting. Um, I want to be, make it extremely easy, uh, the transition towards transparent science. Gotcha. So it's, it's like a, a, the only equivalent role in a lot of universities would be a kind of a grand officer as like someone who's helping you navigate a a format you might not be familiar with, you know, they, they tell you how it all works and pull you by the ear through the entire process. So this is like a, it's like a grand officer for transparency practices. Yeah. Because I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of places and a lot of people actually want to implement, but they don't know where to start. And at the same time, they don't necessarily have the resources to be able to get someone on full time or even part time for a long term contract. But I think this is actually a really good solution because they can go, okay, for this upcoming project, we want to do this. Let's get a research assistant from Igdor. I think this is a really, a really good solution that I, I don't know why I didn't even, I haven't thought of this before, but this actually could, um, could help a lot of people who, who want to do this. Not, not, they, they don't want to not do open science because I don't want to, but they just don't necessarily have the knowledge because there's a lot of things to, to actually yeah. understand. So this is uh, or the time sounds like a, to learn. Yeah. 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 It takes, takes For a lot sure. of time. I mean, look, a, a lot of the time you'd, you'd know, you'd know what you, what you want a lot of the time, how to, how to structure it, how to present it, how to turn it into a pre-registration, the nature of the process itself. I could see someone knowing exactly what they wanted, being able to write that in a couple of paragraphs and then say, Show me how it works. Yes, ah. exactly. Cool. Okay. And and uh, Igdor's aim is to keep the costs as low as possible. We want we want people to practice transparent science. Uh, and if 
uh, as much as I can, I will do it for free. Uh, so the aim is not to make money. Uh, the aim is to do transparent science and to help to assist people in doing transparent science because we are currently in, in a difficult situation in this transition phase. Um, and I really want to, to um, spread transparent science and, and facilitate the process to sci for scientists. Nice. I, I, I suppose that so that the whole <laughs> it's a little while ago. I can't remember who it was. Someone who was allegedly important. They did wrote the the, the 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 recent fad for transparency or transparency pre-registration. Ah, someone called it a fad, and uh, that was that was another that was another good belly laugh because you know <laughs> it's not going away. Sunshine, you're a dinosaur. Um, ah, who said, uh, someone, someone write to us and tell us who said the fad thing. Someone on the internet. God, uh, yeah. We'll, uh. That's the best, if it, if Rebecca, this is the best thing about p forgetting stuff when you have a podcast. There's people, there's people out there who go, people oh, tell us. James, for God's sake. Ep episode, episode four, James. Yeah. It's like having, it's like having a piece of your brain out there. Yeah. We'll find, we'll find out who the, the, the fattest in, the, 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 the fattest was. I'm sorry if it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, uh, it's 10 to 2 in the morning and. <laughs> Uh, we, 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 we've managed to crack the, I just want to tell people this. We've managed to crack the world's most difficult meeting time, which is, uh, Oslo. <laughs> yeah. Oslo. Six in the morning, Os Oslo. Oslo, <laughs> Oslo, Bali, uh, Boston on daylight saving. So I, I, I put these things into the, like the world clock meeting time. And you're supposed to look when you do this for one where all the green pieces match up. No green pieces <laughs> match up. Didn't happen. Yeah. Did not happen. Oh, it's good but, fun. But that it's good fun. Um, so if people want to learn more about um, the work that Rebecca and Igdor is doing, check out their website, mm. which we will um, which we'll put on the um, on the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Um, what about what about Ronan? Um, what about uh, we didn't get to hear about Ronan? I don't even know what Ronan is. I haven't done any background, and it has a cool name. Yeah. So Ronan Institute was uh, founded by John Wilkins in in 2012 and basically I I I hadn't heard about Ronan when I started Eggdor. Uh if I knew about Ronan when uh in two in 2016 then I would probably have contacted them and asked to do this all of this what I'm doing in in their name uh, instead. So uh Ronan they have about 150 uh, scientists affiliated with them and they offer grant hosting in US and yeah they they are an institute they offer affiliation and grant hosting and they are a virtual research institute just like Igdor right 2012 ahead of the curve yeah, mm. yeah that's 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 in the post BIM era as someone called it the other day <laughs> uh, but only just only just just well before we uh before we finish up today we always like to ask our guests some uh, quick fire questions more about their their careers uh so the the first question we want to ask you rebecca is um is this you you get to show uh just say you got to show one slide to every introductory psychology lecture around the world what would the slide say uh, I think that would be a Richard Feynman quote, probably. 
Okay. Uh, or X, XKCD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I never do a, a, I never give a lecture in psychology without showing XKCD. Uh, but I think if only one slide, then I think I would choose the Feynman quote. Uh, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Well, Dan is. So true. <laughs> it depends what time of the, what time of the day it is. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, but before we move on to the next one, um, there is actually a, um, an, uh, GG plot XKCD style. So if you ever want to actually post, um, plots in that style, there is a, uh, GG plot style there. So I'll, I'll post it to that as well. <laughs> so you can do. Dude, there, there, there's, the, there's the nerdy R stats portion of, of the show. Okay, uh, next question. Um, what is the one book or paper that you would recommend that everyone should read? Uh, everyone who is interested in open science should read the GNU Manifesto by Richard Stallman from 1985. Uh, old school. Right on. Because open science wouldn't have been open science without uh, the GNU Manifesto. And way too many people in the open science movement have no idea about what open source comes from or the free software movement. Yeah, right. So I I think that is part of, of an important, very important part of the history when you talk about open science and the transparency revolution. Damn. Oh, I would have downloaded I'm, that I'm off a of bulletin now. board in the oh, when I was in high school. <laughs> no, that was a that was a big thing. Like uh, um the yeah. uh, Unix Unix weirdos would would never ever ever mm. quiet about that. It was yeah, that's a central text in the the history of open culture. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes. Oh, damn, I haven't read that yeah. for years. Oh, now I feel old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I also find it very uh, very relevant for what is happening now, how we could, because Richard Stallman make a difference between uh, free Libre science and uh, no free Libre source software and open source. Open source is more about quality that you share the source code because uh, it will be a better software. Uh, While uh, free Libre uh, software is about freedom. Uh, so not only about quality, but also about ethics. And I think we could make the same distinction in open science. There is transparent practices, open scientific practices will improve the quality of science, but we also have a freedom part, uh, for example, the, the right to uh, redistribute articles like Sci-Hub does. And so I, I, I think we have more to do in that area. Open science can develop further uh, with regard to the ethics and, and more, of, uh, more philosophy, not only quality. Damn. I've got to reread that. I can't remember the last time I read anything on like free software philosophy. 
Ah, that's a really good one. I'm so glad you did. It's also short. I was so glad. Like, please don't say it's some. It's so short. Yeah, please don't say an arcane book that I've got to go and dig up and read. Someone's gonna, <laughs> someone's gonna ask me if I've read it. You know, I'm only on page 176. Ah, yeah. Okay, that's uh, uh This is like one page. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's real. It's real, real short. It's in sort of question and answer yeah. kind of style. Is yeah. It's uh, yeah. Uh, I think that's and my- Richard Stallman has also written something uh, where he he made a distinction between open science and free labor science. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. I think there are more things to to think about there. Damn, I think very, that very is definitely good. my favorite. We ask that question to a lot of people. That is now my officially my favorite answer to that question. Oh. And um, the first one where it's also practical for me to just go out and read it because guess what? It's free to access. Uh, who knew, right? And it's short. We will. Let's not we forget will link it's to that. Short. It's short. That's very good. So uh, we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us, uh, Rebecca. And um, we will um, post um, all the links to all all the uh, all the stuff and all the resources and all the places that you've been talking about. Um, so for now, we will uh, chat again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.